So I want to mention that we've been in a series on um, spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, and so the two verses we read today have to do with the um, helmet of salvation and thinking and how uh, our mental engagement is such a huge part of the, the Christian faith. So let me, uh, let me pray, and then we're going we're gonna to talk today about um, the helmet of salvation. Our Father, we thank you that you engage our entire being. And you say that we're to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything we have. And that's truly what we desire to do. And we come to your word and it informs us. It gives us wisdom and knowledge. And we know that we need that, God, in this world. And we know that we need truth. We need uh, the practical application how to put truth into practice in our lives. And we pray that we would feel that, significance of that. And we also know that um, we have an enemy who is a liar. And he tells us things that are not true. And we want to uh, be able to tell the difference between these things, oh God. So we just pray that you would speak to our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would engage our minds and that we would better understand what is this helmet of salvation and what is its purpose? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, some of you are familiar probably if you've been a Christian for a while and if you're my age or maybe if you're younger, um, you've heard of uh, Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was a great philosopher. Um, he was a Christian. He had this study center called Labrie in Switzerland and he, was, he really was a world-class thinker. And he said this, the spiritual battle... The loss of victory is always in the thought world. He talks about it's in our brain, in our minds, our, our thinking has to be where the battle, a lot of the battle takes place, and we have to think correctly. In, in Mark chapter 4, 15, there's the illustration of the parable of this, the four soils or the four seeds, and the first one is thrown, and the seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the seed is thrown out, and Satan comes along, and that first seed, uh, goes on the, the path and it says that the seed is uh, Satan immediately comes and takes away or snatches the word that is sown and so where, where is the seed sown? It's sown in the mind but Satan comes before it can take root and snatches and Satan isn't afraid to um, uh, challenge us in our thinking every day Every day that we live in information, there are um, things that we need to be aware of. And Satan comes along and he doesn't want you to understand the truth. He doesn't want information that God has for you to sink in. He doesn't want the sinner to consider the information that we call the gospel. He wants it to be confused. He wants it to be, uh, wants you to be disinterested. He wants you to be distracted. And so that's what we're talking about today. In Psalm 14, 1, it says that the fool has said in his heart that there's no God. There's a lot of people that think they're smart because they say there's no God. The uh, atheist is someone who takes the position that he's too smart to believe in God. But the Bible and God says only a fool would say that. And in Proverbs 1, 
the book of Proverbs is written to give wisdom. It is an Old Testament book of wisdom if you want to be wise. And wisdom includes knowledge, but it's more than just knowledge. It's knowing how to use knowledge. And Proverbs says that if you want to be smart, if you want to be wise, there's a, a, a piece of truth that you need to have. That's the beginning of wisdom. And it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. What does that mean? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Why would you fear God? In the Bible, what it means is that the first significant piece of information that changes everything is that you have a right understanding of who God is. And that's what it means. The fear of God means you should revere God. Hold God in His proper place. Not bring Him down to your level. Not make Him, oh my buddy. Oh, the big guy in the sky. All those ideas that sort of bring God down. Or to ignore God altogether. But the Bible says, you're beginning to think correctly. When you recognize that there is a God who created heaven and earth. And I will answer to Him. And that's the starting point. That's the smartest thing. That's the first step of beginning to live and think and engage in this world in a way that is uh, healthy and realistic. Is a proper acknowledgement of God and reverence for who He is. And contrary to what some people think, Christianity <coughs> means putting on your thinking cap, not taking it off. You'll never be more mentally engaged than when you come to realize that there is a natural world and a supernatural world and they are inseparably linked and that everything that plays out in our world has its roots and cause in a heavenly realm. So there's both. There is a natural world and everyone recognizes that part, but there's also a supernatural realm. And as a Christian... We are among those who believe that these two realms exist and they are intertwined and married to one another. And this is very important for us. That we, as we go about living in the natural world or in this world of things that you can touch, the material realm, there is an immaterial realm, an invisible realm, a spiritual realm. And it's just as real to us as the the realm that we can touch. It's very important to us. Christianity is a spiritual uh, religion. It is a spiritual entity. It's based on spiritual things that make sense to us, helps us understand all of reality. And if you take away spiritual reality, we don't think that it's possible to rightly understand and answer the big questions in life like, why am I here? Who am I? Where did we come from? Is there any purpose and goal in life? All those questions are tied to us in this uh, merging together, this, this beautifully woven together reality. Reality to us is two realms, not just one realm. It's not just material. It's not just the cosmos. Uh, many philosophers will say things like this, and you may hear philosophers say, the cosmos is all there is. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's foolish. That's not reality. That's not reality. There's another part of reality 
And if you miss that part, then you're not viewing things realistically. It's not real. It's not true. There is the natural, but there is the supernatural. That's very important for us. And that's part of having your, your, your thinking on correctly. Okay? It's very important to us. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, like I beg you, I plead to you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies, notice this part, the body, present your body, your material being, your material essence, your physicality, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Isn't that interesting? Give your body, which is your spiritual worship, as an act of spiritual worship. Giving your all to God is simultaneously giving an act of spiritual worship. You're doing something spiritual when you get up and do something with your body for the glory of God. It's intertwined. It's not separate things. It's one in the whole. And then it says, this is your spiritual worship, to present your bodies. You had to get up this morning and get dressed and grab your kids if that's possible and grab your Bible and drive into the parking lot and make your way and find a seat and those physical steps are part of your spiritual response to God. It wasn't just meaningless physical activity. You were engaging in response to God and that's part of your spiritual life, your spiritual being. And then he says, well, once you get here, or once you commit your body to God, and this is spiritual, he says, do not conform to this world. In other words, don't let the world tell you right from wrong. Don't follow the world in everything you do. Don't just wake up and just think you're just a physical being. You're like no different than a dog who wants to chase a, a, a cat or wants to bark or is looking for food. You're not just a physical being who responds to physical stimuli. You are a spiritual being, which includes your physicality. And then he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the world... There's, a, there's, a, there's more information you need. Don't just let the world... Don't just educate your mind. Don't just go to college to figure out that you know, the end result is like to get a good job and to make money so you can retire. And, and don't... The world doesn't have the answers that you need. You need more information. And then it says, be transformed, be changed, be radically changed by the renewal of your mind. Christianity is not mindless. It is the waking up of your mind. If you live this world and this life as if there's no spiritual reality, then you are half asleep. You're not fully awake. You need to have your mind renewed that by the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so let me back up just a sec and tell you what we're doing. Spiritual warfare is our current topic. And I want to review some of the things we've learned from Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His mind. In other words, never go into spiritual battles without God leading the way. And do not take on life without God. You don't have what it takes to prevail. You know, the world says, oh, you've got everything you need. No, you don't. 
No, you don't. The world says, you got it, you got this. And your reply to that is, no, I've already tried that. You don't got this. You need God. And that's the first thing is like, don't go out into the spiritual world. Don't go out into this world un, unguarded, unprotected. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Acknowledge that you need God. And if you want to stand or survive against the schemes of the devil, then put on the whole armor of God. All the armor, not just the pieces you like or prefer. It's like, well, I like shoes, so I want the, the shoes of readiness. I, I like um, robes, so I want the breastplate. You need every piece. You can't leave a piece off. The Bible's like, oh, do this and this, but Christians don't need to think, so you don't need the helmet of salvation. You need everything in this chapter. You need all of it because that's how intense this battle is. And God has given you equipment. You need every piece. Go for every piece. It's like, I don't want to go out without a piece. And then Satan has people in high places, seen and unseen. In the worldly realm, in the spiritual realm, there are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, dark powers. Do not be naive of dark spiritual forces that operate in the world and how they are led by dark spiritual powers in the spiritual realm. So in the physical world, there are people who are connected to the spiritual realm, whether they know it or not. There are powers of darkness. How can such evil things that we hear about and read about happen? How does that happen? It's not just men being men. It's Satan working in the realm of this world. And it's evil. There is real evil. There are dark things. There are things that are almost unspeakable. There are things that we would call inhumane. There are demonic, satanic things that occur. They are contrary to the, to the purpose of God. They are contrary to the way and precepts of God. They are anti-God. There are anti-God forces at work. And if you want to live in this world, you need to wake up and be aware of these realities. This is reality. Satan has people in high places. And the instant you become a Christian, you cross a line. Did you know that? Becoming a Christian is more than just joining the club. It's crossing a line. You literally, you cross a line. You are no longer in Satan's kingdom. You are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You can't be in two kingdoms. You have to pick one. And there's one already picked for you. You come into this world and you're, in the wrong, you're on the wrong side. You come with a depraved heart and a sinful nature. And you need to be saved. You need to be delivered. You need to be moved. You need to transfer. You need to move out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of night. There's a line and you need to cross and you need to leave that kingdom. You can't play this little game, dancing between kingdoms. There is no such thing. God says you're either with me or against me. You may be religious, but that doesn't mean you're of the kingdom of light. You may hang out with people who are in the kingdom of light, but that doesn't make you part of the kingdom of light. You may go to church with other kingdom members, but not be in the kingdom. You have to move from the kingdom of darkness and renounce your old ways, renounce Satan, say, no more devil, I choose Jesus Christ. And that's what has to happen. And that's going to involve mental engagement. 
You're going to have to think like you've never thought before. There's a lot to consider. There's a lot to think about. God wants you to fully understand and engage with all your mental faculties. Christianity does not require you to set aside your mind, but to awaken your mind. You will never need to think more clearly and to dig deeper than now that you are a Christian and awaken to the interaction between the natural world and the spiritual world. If you hope to stand in this evil day, you will need to put on the helmet of salvation. Okay, you need to think. We're required to think Christianity is not a mindless religion. Some people say Christianity is a faith religion, which it is, but then they act like faith and thought are at odds with one another. That is completely a lie. You'll never need to engage your mental faculties more than once you are awakened to spiritual realities. It's like light on. Okay? So what is the purpose of a helmet? A helmet protects your head. Soldiers wear helmets. Football players wear helmets. Kayakers have special helmets. There are helmets for riding bikes and for riding motorcycles. And the skull is God's own natural helmet designed to protect the brain. And sometimes an additional helmet is needed to provide protection in even more dangerous activity. The brain is vital to human life. It's a fist-sized, three-pound organ that contains 86 billion active neurons blood-pumping vessels that are in constant interaction and are a network of circuits that exchange information. That's the brain. I, I read one statement said, the brain is the most complex part of the human body, the seat of intelligence, interpreter of the senses, initiator of body, movement, and controller of, brain, of behavior, and therefore it needs to be on, Christian Fire those neurons. Use your brain. I don't know that this impacts the sermon at all, but I'll read it. It makes me sound smarter. Okay, the human brain has three parts. Uh, cerebellum, cerebrum, brain, and the brainstem. It's physical and it is a physical and it is a physical and visible organ. It is material matter. So the brain... The brain is the, the matter. The brain is the, the, um, nat, the physical. The brain is three pounds. You can pick it up. You can look at it. I mean, I'm sure some of you think your brain is like eight pounds or nine, but it's just three. Okay, it's three pounds. Okay, and it's a physical organ. The mind is an element of a person that enables them to be aware of the world and their experiences, to think, to feel, the faculty of consciousness and thought. So I don't know if this analogy works, and I don't know, someone like Tom Ford or somebody is a whole lot smarter than me, um, and he's a psychologist, so um, I'm so often worried that he knows what I'm thinking, and I don't like that. Um, but, you know, I kind of think like this, and it, it works for me and it kind of helps me. Again, I don't know that this would be completely accurate. and It, can prob it probably breaks down at some point. But I kind of like to think the brain is the hardware and the mind is the software. So if that helps a little bit, the brain's just like the, the thing that sits there. But you've got to put 
software, you got to put information into the software, and, and the software works only if it's in the uh, processor. Okay, so I don't even know if that helps, but it's there. Okay, so psychologists, scientists, philosophers, theologians have debated the relationship and distinction between the mind, between mind and matter, between the brain and the mind, between the human brain and the mind. They're clearly distinct from other created beings. The human brain and the mind. Our brain, our brain is different than a um, squirrel's brain. Our brain is different than a tadpole. Your brain, I'm pretty sure, is bigger than a frog brain. Our brain is different. I don't know how big an elephant brain is, but our brain does more. As human brain is different. As the image bearers of God, God made us in His image. And one of the things that's so unique about human capacity is the ability to think and create and ponder and choose and, and do all these things. So... Um, God wants us to fully engage our brain. The mind is one of the most amazing things given to us by God, and it's essential to our lives. This is essential to how we live, what we do, our convictions, our passions, our decisions, our ability to solve problems, our creativity, our ability to overcome hardship, our willingness to go to war. Everything we do in life runs through the brain and engages the mind. Um, I, I want to make a, a statement. I, I, I think it's pretty clever. I thought of it. Um, I think it's pretty clever. Think about this. If you're interested in the relationship between the brain and the mind, you probably have both. If you're interested in the brain, you, you probably have one. And if you want to know about your mind, then you probably have one of those too. It goes back to that famous saying by Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am. He knew he existed because he could think about his existence. And I just want to say that our, our brain's pretty, pretty amazing. And it's no wonder God wants us to use us, and it's no wonder Satan wants to attack us. It's that important. The Bible, Christianity... Anyone who thinks Christianity is mindless is deceived. The Bible is constantly calling forth mental engagement. In Proverbs 1, the beginning of this whole book of wisdom, Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, said to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Okay, so what is a, what is a, a helmet protects our brain. What is a helmet of salvation? Like what kind of helmet? It's not a motorcycle helmet. It's not a um, kayaking helmet. It's not a parachute helmet. What is a helmet of salvation? I, I think it's easy, it's true to say nothing will radically change your direction in life as salvation. There's the exception of those who are brought up in a solid Christian setting. So if, if you spend your life without being connected to biblical things, then... Christianity just radically changes your worldview. Has anyone experienced that? Has anyone like had a, a way about living and Christianity has just completely revolutionized the way you see the world? Now also, 
there's a bunch of kids down the world that they're learning a biblical worldview before many of them even come to salvation. They're already learning a biblical worldview. What a blessing. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, like with a biblical worldview. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this isn't so much as a promise, as a principle. It's a principle. I can't guarantee that every kid that goes to church is going to be saved. I can't make that. I can't promise you. I, some people will say, Proverbs 22, 6 says this. It's, it's a principle. It's a truth. It's a truism. I can't promise that every kid goes to church will be saved. But I can promise that every kid that grows up in church, at least a Bible teaching church, will have a huge advantage. And they will be set on a path of truth. And they won't ever outrun it. It'll always be there. As, you know, the, the hound of heaven, as it's described, that truth will be there. And they will, they'll never be able to outrun what they learned when they were little kids. It'll, it'll be there at some point, and it may summon them and call them back to God. Okay? So get it in there early. The early years set a strong sense of direction, especially when lovingly applied and faithfully modeled. Salvation is when you are rescued from sin and death. Salvation is when Jesus saves you. Salvation is the new life, regeneration, being born again, born of the Spirit. Salvation in your heart totally reorients your mind. You are now a child of God. You wear God's uniform, including a helmet of salvation. You are called, marked, chosen, beloved, protected by God. Salvation has brought you into the ways and wonders of God. You are on Team Jesus now. Salvation is the single greatest event in your life. You have a whole new outlook on life and death. God wants you to know about this salvation. He wants you to know that you have now, what you have now because of salvation and who has uh, and and you, what you have awaiting for you in heaven is a result of your salvation. In Philippians 1, 9 and 10, Paul prayed, It is my prayer that, you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. He said, I want you to get smarter and smarter. I want you to get heart, holier and holier, smarter and smarter, stronger and stronger. But it includes a lot of mental activity. Your faith is going to include some mental activity, a lot of mental activity. He says, I want you to grow in knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that came, comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's like, I want you to be uh, fruitful, and that's going to require learning and reorienting your life around the truth of God and the, the scriptures of God. And so... Um, the first thing I talked about was um, like what is the purpose of a helmet and then what is a helmet of salvation. And now I just want to reiterate the third point. Christianity is mind engaging. It's mind engaging. It's going to challenge you to do some, a lot of thinking. You're going to think a lot about God and how that relates to life and everything that you're doing. Christianity is mind engaging. There is so much to study and learn in this world. All that you can learn points to God. Did you know that? All fields of study open up in a way that is astounding. Knowledge of this world points to knowledge of God. Everywhere you look is now related to Almighty God as a Christian. Science points to God. Medicine points to God. Philosophy ponders God. 
mathematics points to God's order. Anatomy and biology and chemistry and history and language and physics and meteorology and warfare and ethics and sociology and engineering and construction and botany, landscaping, finance, geopolitics, zoology, athletics, computer science, artificial intelligence, everything belongs to God. It's all His field. These are His fields. Christians don't go, oh, I, I can't study science. I'm a Christian now. What? Who told you that? Science is God's. Anatomy is God. God did it. God made the stars. God made the veins. God made the heart. God made the mind. It's all God's. These are, there is no field that doesn't belong to our God. And you're glorifying God when you approach it that way. It's like, no, education is God's field. And so every field of study opens up as knowledge and information that points to God and truth. All things either work according to God's design to promote truth or things work by Satan to distort truth. Knowing truth, which begins and is founded upon knowing God is vital to living our lives in accordance with God's will and purposes. Okay, so you need to be aware of what I call sometimes the two books of God. Have y'all heard me refer to the two books of God? The two books of God, there's the book of nature and book of scripture. And there's two books, same author. Very important, same author. The two books of God were both written by God. The two books, the book of nature, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's the book of nature. The heavens declare, God shouts from the heavens, from the, the rainbow and the waterfall and the, um, the whole process of uh, generation and everything. That nature points to God. He's screaming and shouting. Somebody's smart. When you see the world operating, you should be going, somebody is so smart to think of this. Somebody, it's shouting. The Bible says there is no place, there is no land, there is no tongue, there is no place where its voice is not heard. Nature is screaming. There is a God. There is a God. Look at the wonder of God. Nature calls forth praise. And then Scripture is even more specific. Nature is a general revelation of God, generally revealing God, and Scripture is a special revelation of God where He now talks about the God who created all things also created you, and now He wants to talk about how you can be in relationship with Him, and that's the book of Scripture. The book of nature helps partially define who you are, but the book of Scripture helps you find your way to God. And the two books work together. And people get confused. It's like, no, no, the book of nature, that belongs to science. The book of Scripture is theology. No, 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 no. That's a lie. The heavens declare the glory of God. The unbelieving world only reads this book, the book of nature. The unbelieving world reads the book of nature, and they can't make sense of the purpose of it all. They only have one layer. They do not tie it into eternity. It's just dirt and gas to them. The cosmos is all there is, they say. They only have the university. They strive to enlighten the mind and do not know how to tie it to any lasting anchor. The fool is the one who says there is no God. But we know there is a book of Scripture 
And the same Psalm 19 is two books. Psalm 19 is so beautiful. When you go home and read Psalm 19, it's about the two books of God. And the first set of verses talks about the book of nature. And the second half of Psalm 19 talks about the book of Scripture. As it starts to say, it talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God, nature. And then it says in verse 7, the law of the Lord, which is Scripture. It's perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Like, you can't be wise without the second book, the book of Scripture. And the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You see how these two things work together. This is what ties everything together. It's two books with one author. The knowledge of God is required for making sense of the knowledge of nature and life. Without God, life makes no sense. So... In, in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, Jesus described what it was to be fully alive. And it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You've got to have the helmet of salvation. Salvation is when you first come to know God. And salvation brings right understanding. And you're going to be attacked. And the helmet is your thinking's going to be attacked. Satan's going to attack. He's going to attack truth. He's going to attack your thinking. Every day, there's bomb, our world is bombarded with Satan trying to make people think lies. Satan tries to get in your head, and he is a liar. Most spiritual battles take place in our thought life, and Satan's most effective weapon and most relentless assault is lies and propaganda and deceit. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says that we must be careful not to be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. You need to know what he's up to and that's going to take some, some thinking. In Revelation 12, chapter 9, it says the great dragon was thrown, into the, was thrown down. He's called the devil and Satan. So we know who he's talking about. And he says he is the deceiver of the whole world. So he's trying to deceive. He's deceiving. He's attacking our minds. He wants you to think things that aren't true. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 refers to the world as being blinded, blinded by Satan. Satan tries to blind you. He tries to keep you, confuse you. In John 12, 31, it says that there is the ruler of this world. So Satan will use this world and everything at his, uh, within his grasp to try to deceive. In Genesis 3, 1, when we first meet Satan, he is crafty. He's crafty and he tries to deceive and he lies to us and he wants us to be confused about what God's Word says. In 1 Peter 5.8, it tells us to be sober-minded. Use your mind. You need to think clearly because your enemy, your adversary, the devil, roars and runs around trying to seek to devour you. In James 4.7, it says that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. You need to draw near to God. Resist the devil. It's going to take mental action. You've got to learn to understand the difference between truth and lies. John 8, 44, Satan, Jesus referred to Satan as the devil and the father of lies. He is a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. 2 Corinthians 11 refers to period uh, or, or people that are called false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostle of Christ. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So Satan will dress up like a preacher. He'll dress up like a teacher. He'll dress up like a mom or a dad. Or he'll dress up like a friend. And he's a deceiver. And he will de disguise himself to trick people. And he's very good at it. Okay. So I lastly want to say, what are you doing 
What are you doing to engage and protect your mind? Well, are, are, you, are you zoned in? Do you, do you see that, Christian, you're going to have to use this thing between your head. You, you, need to, you need to think. Christianity is not mean put your brain and your thought on a shelf. It's to wake up. It's a summons to the most important thinking you'll ever do in your life. It's like, wake up and think. Turn the light on. No, we don't run from things. We run, we want to know, we want to learn, we want to discover. And somehow everything, we have learned that this knowledge of this world points to God and glorifies God. And we can run into fields of study to bring glory to God. You know, the ministry is not the only thing you can do with your life. It used to be this idea, this, this distinction between sacred and secular. And it's like secular was anything that wasn't directly, somehow directly connected to religion. And so that's sacred. And there's these two fields. And I understand the distinction. And the distinction can be helpful. But I think it can also be harmful where people think that what they're doing with their life isn't honoring and glorifying to God because they're landscaping or because they're practicing medicine or because they're taking seriously a construction or because they're studying to learn more about human behavior or they're studying the brain even or they're going to do this with their life and that with their life. And here's the point. I want you to be unapologetically engage with your mental faculty and let it be known that because you're a Christian, you want to study this. Because you're a Christian, you want to honor God. Because you're a Christian, you're doing what you're doing. Because you're a Christian, you want to keep the books well and you want to be kind at the store and your job is important. You want the the cans to be ordered correctly because it reminds you that God is orderly and you do your job well and you take it seriously because that's what God would do and that's what He does in His world. It's a summons. It's a summons. You don't give up these fields of study to the devil. That are never where he is. He distorts them. He tries to misuse information. And so putting on your, your cap and honoring God just opens the, everything up. It opens the world and claims it's God's. It's mine, God says. This is my world. And so I just think that's so important. Okay, so I, I want you, I want you to, to think. And here's what happens when you start doing this. Then you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord God, what, a, what do I do for you? And he'll say, your job. What am I supposed to do for you today? Your job. To my glory. And don't be ashamed to let people know that you belong to me along the way. It's because you love me that you're doing this. It's because you've been awakened. Away with these ideas that Christianity is mindless. It wasn't until you became a Christian that it was lights on. The light came on and you said, man, this is my father's world. I'm going to glorify him and honor him in it. And I'm also going to repel and fight against Satan's lies. And Satan lies in this field, in that field. Does anyone ever feel like Satan might have got involved with a little bit of lying with COVID? Just ask him. You think Satan's involved a little bit when you watch the news? Just ask him. Yeah. Do you think it would be helpful for people who are committed to God, who are committed to truth? And it's because they love God. And it's a reflection of who we are as followers of God. Put your helmet on. Okay? If you're not saved, then let's do this right now. 
you don't know Jesus Christ, then this is where it all starts. And you just simply say, Lord God, I want to be awake. I want to be fully alive. I've been living with the first book. I've been conscious of this natural world, but I want to enter into the supernatural world. I want to be awakened. I want my light to come on. I've been living for this world only. I want to come into... I want to switch sides. I want to come over to your kingdom. I want you to run my life. I, I don't run it very well. I'm tired of it. And I certainly don't want Satan running my life. Today, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be awesome? Would you, be, would you people be okay if someone did that today? Okay. Well, I know that's why we're here, right? And I also would think God would be super excited as if we close in our closing song that you were saying, Lord God, the thing that I need most is I need to make sure I'm on the right side. And so I call out to you today, you would have mercy upon my soul. I've been living against your will, and I want to come to you today, and I want to turn to Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, because I know, I know enough to know that what he did on the cross was for salvation, and I need salvation today. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there may be some Christians here who are saved, but you've been a sleepy Christian, and you need to wake up. And you need to start living the area where God has called you and placed you. And say, Lord God, I want to redeem this area of my life for your glory. And I want to live full on. And I want to begin to understand how my theology affects my life. And then I want to live a life where people can see my love and devotion to you. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your goodness. And we pray, oh God that you would work in our hearts and our lives with great effect and help us to see that it's only when we come to you that we begin to think clearly. And I pray, oh God, if there's someone here today that's ready to commit to Jesus Christ, friend, you can do that right here, right now. How would you like to have a new start? How would you like to give your life into his hands? Surrender your heart to Christ now and say this, Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. I acknowledge your goodness, your power, and I want to be saved. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, today. And if you're a Christian, 